Take your Bibles and be finding the book of Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6 this morning, and uh, we'll uh, see what the Lord has for us from this passage. Isaiah chapter number 6 today. And uh, boy, I thank God for allowing us to be here. Thank you for singing, and I uh, thank you for giving. And uh, <clears throat> I've had this passage, Isaiah 6, I've had this passage on my mind uh, since quoting it uh, from, uh, I quoted it last Sunday evening, last Sunday evening's message, and I, I quoted it, and um, I've not been able to get away from it. I, I dug on this all week. I studied it out and just uh, meditated on Isaiah chapter 6 all week. And so uh, this morning, we're going to look at this passage and the lessons that it can teach us about faith to God and service to God. And uh, if I had a title uh, for today's message, it'd be a pretty good alliterated outline, although it's not my outline, but it's this, the vision, the vessel, and the volunteer. Uh, the vision, the vessel, and the volunteer. And that's what we're seeing here in Isaiah chapter number six. We see those three things. And uh, we're going to look at Isaiah's life-changing experience of God's call and his response of willingness of, to serve and how we can apply that to our lives today. It's always amazing to me, one of the things I mentioned this in Sunday school, uh, how many times we see things going on in the world around us and we see uh, so-called uh, what the world and what many people are heralding as movements of God. And uh, the sad thing is, is, is when we open up God's word, and that's important by the way, when we open up God's word, uh, God's word, just so y'all know, and I was talking about it in Sunday school, uh, God's word should be the litmus test for anything that we come across in life. Uh, open up God's word and see what God has to say about it because there's something in there for everything. And uh, we see so many, uh, I call them movements in our day, and, and uh, a lot of people call them movements of God, or a lot of people, I, I, remember, <laughs> I remember it was a pretty amazing thing. Uh, uh, several years ago, uh, Bethel Church out in Redding, California, Bill Johnson pastors out there, of course, y'all know my, uh, y'all have heard me uh, Y'all know what I think about that. But anyways, uh, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to go there this morning. But I remember many years ago, uh, they were holding a church service out there and, and uh, gold dust started flying, uh, just kind of uh, a mist got into the building there and there was gold dust floating around and getting over all over people. It made a big deal out of it. Uh, and you know what they said about it? They said it was the presence of God. It was the glory of God in their midst. They said, oh, there was a cloud and there was gold. Just, just, uh, I mean, people were walking out of the church like, man, I've been in the presence of God today. And here's what the church service ended up being. It ended up being a lot of what we've seen on uh, social media over the past several weeks. And, and that is a bunch of people having a dance party in what they call the house of God. You might think, well, preacher, that sounds kind of harsh. Well, I just call things like I see it. We're going to look this morning and see what actually happens when you come into the presence of God. And by the way, that gold dust and that mist I was talking about, it ended up getting debunked. They had filled up, um, they had filled up their air vents with um, confetti. <laughs> Anyways. So that a lot of times when we see things on TV and we see things going on in the world around us that are called movements of God, you know the first thing you ought to do? 
Just get in the Word and see. Because you'll find out what a real movement of God looks like in His Word. You'll find out what happens to a person that gets in the presence of God in His Word. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So many times in our lives, we, we get into uh, different things. And, and, and what we wind up, I'll just be honest with you, what winds up happening is uh, we get involved in, a, in, in an emotionalism or an emotion-driven atmosphere. It has nothing to do with the movement of God. But I'm going to show you this morning what happens when you come into the presence of God. And so uh, look here in Isaiah chapter number 6. I want to look at three things here uh, from Isaiah chapter number 6, verses 1 through 8. And we're going to go down through them for the sake of time because this can be, this may get lengthy. But anyways, uh, I'm not going to read all of them at once. We're just going to go through them. I want you to notice in verse number 1 of Isaiah chapter number 6, we see here, I'm going to begin looking at the upward look. There were three there were three things that happened in Isaiah's life here in Isaiah chapter number 6. There were three directions that he pointed his eyes to. And we're going to look at them here in his call uh, to be in a prophet of God, to, be a, uh, to prophesy for the Lord. I want you to notice verse number one. We're going to find here that Isaiah had an upward look. He saw deity. But I want you to notice before he saw deity, he saw something else in verse number one. The very first phrase in verse number one says this, in the year that King Uzziah died. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, just as a way of introduction into this passage here, King Uzziah of Judah had a long and distinguished reign. It was described in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and 2 Kings chapter 15, although if you read in 2 Kings 15, his name is called Azariah, but it is the same person. Now Uzziah began his reign when he was only 16 years old. He ended up reigning some 52 years, and overall he was a good king. And uh, 2 Kings chapter 15 verse 3 even says this, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Now 2 Chronicles chapter 26 verse 5 says this, He sought God in the days of Zechariah who had an understanding in the visions of God and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. But Uzziah, when we read about him, he also led Israel in military victories over the Philistines and other neighboring nations, and he was a strong king. Now, y'all just hang with me, because I'm going somewhere with this, all right? Just hang tight with me. We've got to get a little history lesson in first, okay? And, and then the point will make more sense to you. And so, uh, he, he had led Israel military victories. He, he had, uh, 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 over the Philistines, the neighboring nations there, he was a strong king. And Uzziah was, he was an energetic builder. He was a planner. He was a general. Uh, Second Chronicles chapter 26, 8 tells us his name spread abroad even to the entering in of Egypt for he strengthened himself exceedingly. He was a success. He Everything about him seemed to be successful from the physical to even the spiritual because he followed in the steps of the Lord. He, was, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord but let me tell you in some we all need to remember just like us Uzziah was human he was human he was not superhuman 
He was human and uh, intoxicated by his success as a king and by his blessings from the Lord. Yes, I said blessings from the Lord. His pride became his downfall. And it's something we all need to understand this morning that even the blessings of God, you think about America and how blessed we are here. Amen. Amen. Hey, come on, everybody I'll say amen on that one. This is America. We have the freedom to read the Word. We've got the freedom to come in here and assemble together over God's Word and study and sing and, 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 and just be here. You had the freedom to come and leave your house this morning and come here. We are a blessed people. The Philippines can't get enough Bibles. We heard that from a brother just a few weeks back, uh, Brother Salyer that was here. And, and uh, the Philippines, they, 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 they can't get enough Bibles. And uh, Noah, we were driving home and he was asking me questions about it. I said, honey, they ain't got a Dollar General on every corner like we do in Mount Airy. They can't walk into the store and pick up a Bible like we can. And a lot of times, I'm just being real with you, and it gets even worse than that. You've got countries like that that just can't get enough. And then you've got countries like China that'll put you in jail for having one. But here in America this morning, we were all able to get up. We were all able to cook some eggs or get what... I mean, I didn't because it's Sunday morning. I'm busy. But I didn't have time to cook on Sunday mornings. But I, I grab a, a, a granola bar I bought from the supermarket, though. I was able to go down there and get that. I didn't have to worry about rations. I didn't have to go take stamps somewhere, you know, like they did back in the Great Depression, for example. We're blessed. I was able to get in a car and drive to work. I mean, drive to work, drive to church. And I was able to get in my car and the car had heat in it. And I'm comfortable. And I came here and we've got heat in here. And we've got air conditioning in here. And we got lights. And hey, we are blessed is what I'm trying to say. Even the things that we take for granted so many times, we are blessed. That blessing can turn into a curse. It has in America. We're so prosperous. I mean, you look, oh man, one of the, uh, one of the preachers yesterday was talking about the, the World War II generation. I think it was Brother Gravely that was talking about Brother Ricky Gravely when he was preaching. He was talking about that World War II generation. He said, you know, we had a generation of people. He said, the last great generation is dying off. He said, those men knew how to work. They'd go to work and they'd go to war. The women would take care of their children and they would do what they had to do at home. People knew how to work. And what he was preaching on masculinity. And what's the biggest issue of our day? People that want to call themselves cats. Men that want to call themselves women. Come on, people, really? You ain't got nothing bigger than that to worry about? Our prosperity has become our curse in America. I remember, I remember not long ago I was watching an interview. i got to get my message. But I was watching an interview with uh, the Kenyan president. It was done by one of the big news sources over here. I can't remember which one it was. It was one of the big media sources. All she wanted to know for this interview, all she cared to know and talk about was how Africa is treating their LGBTQ community. You know what the president said? He said, ma'am, that's not an issue. 
And if it becomes an issue, my people will vote. But right now, our issue is getting food to put in our bellies. If you want to talk about the need of Africa, we'll talk about the need of it. But what you're wanting to talk about has nothing to do with my country. Amen. They've got an issue. They need food. People are starving. And while, while we've got countries that are starving and worrying about their food sources and worry about drought, here in America, all we got to talk about 24 hours a day, seven days a week on the television is the LGBTQ community. God help us. Our prosperity will be our downfall. That's what the men were preaching on yesterday. We need some men that'll stand up, that'll get back in the fight, that'll be masculine, and all these things our society wants to tell us is wrong. Yeah. Man, I got fired up yesterday. It was good, mate. It was a good mate. But listen to me. I got to get back on the track here. Uzziah was intoxicated. His success went to his head. The blessings that God had bestowed upon him created pride in him. And it was his downfall. Here's what happened. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, we find that Uzziah went into the temple to offer an incense sacrifice to God. Well, preacher, what's wrong with that? That sounds like a pretty good thing. It was disobedience. This was a work that only the priest could perform. And Uzziah knew that. And when he sinned in this matter, he was immediately stricken with leprosy. He never recovered. And when the king died, the news was heralded all throughout the kingdom. The king is dead! And it was a time of sorrow because he was a good king. But he messed up. And by the way, there was several priests of God that tried to stop him before he did that. It's amazing what we do sometimes when things go to our heads, doesn't it? And so Isaiah, no doubt he was shaken. His king was gone. He lifted his eyes beyond the mortal remains of his earthly king to his heavenly king. He saw God. I'm going somewhere with this. Look on in verse number 1. He said, I saw in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Let me tell you something, folks, what the significance of this is. If you, I mean, just hear me out here. Isaiah did not have the vision of God until King Uzziah died. But when Uzziah died, Isaiah saw God. Now sometimes, here's where I want to get to with this, sometimes we are guilty of putting other people or other things in the place of God and oftentimes these things or these people must become secondary before we can see God in all of His glory, in all of His power. Let me tell you something folks, some people never see God until death knocks at the door of their home. Many people never call on God until their riches are stripped away or their health is broken. And broken and battered is when we find ourselves looking beyond ourselves and this earth to the heavenly father 
And I believe that's what we see happening here in verse number 1. The earthly throne of Judah was empty for King Uzziah had died. But honey, Jesus, honey, Isaiah looks up and he sees Jesus reigning, sitting upon a throne. And isn't it wonderful today to know that in the days of uncertainty, to know that there is a throne established in heaven forever and Jesus is upon that throne and He is ruling and He is reigning no matter what is going on down here oh the earthly throne was empty but the heavenly throne was occupied it's always been occupied and it always will be occupied Psalm 45 verse 6 says this thy throne O God is forever and ever Oh, we can have certainty in the day of uncertainty. We can have peace in the day of unrest. Oh, because we know that we know that Jesus is on the throne. Surrounding the throne of God, we see angels that are known as seraphims. Look in verse number two. The Bible says, Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Hmm. What a vision. What a vision. These magnificent angelic Creatures were utterly humbled in the presence of Christ. They were covering their faces. They were covering their feet. They were prepared though immediately to carry out the Lord's command symbolized by the wings that enabled them to fly swiftly. What did they do? They cried and with this voice, Isaiah said the post of the door moved and uh, the house was filled with smoke. What were they saying? They were saying, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. What were they doing? They were praising the One who sat on the throne. Why do they repeat holy three different times? Wasn't it enough to simply say that the Lord was holy once? No, it wasn't enough. The, to, to, some say this, this is a reference to the Trinity. They said holy three times, representing God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But I want to show you something else also. In the Hebrew language, intensity is communicated by repetition. And so to say that the Lord is holy said something. To say that the Lord is holy, holy says much more. To say holy, holy, holy is the Lord is to declare His holiness at the highest possible degree. That's what we find here. You don't get holier than God. You don't get more righteous than God. You don't get more just than God. God is the highest degree of holiness. And so these seraphim are looking at Him. They've covered their faces. They've covered their feet. And they're crying. They're not just going, holy, holy. Holy, holy God. Holy, holy. The Lord. Holy, holy. Praise your name. No, no. The Bible says they are crying and they are crying with a voice that is loud enough to shake the doorpost. Amen. Yes. 
They recognize His power by saying the whole earth is full of His glory. They refer to Him as the Lord of hosts, meaning that He commanded all of the angels of heaven. And so we, like Isaiah, we need to maybe get rid of some things in our life and look up. When you look up, you'll see the Lord, I promise you. You'll see the Lord. Oh, preacher, I'm looking up. I don't see, I see a root. No, you're missing my point, y'all. You get rid of some things in your life. And get your eyes focused upward. Oh, we want to look all around us and we want to. Oh, no, if you'll just look up, you'll get some help. Isaiah's getting some help right here. But I want you to see he had another look. He had an upward look, but he also had an inward look. The, up, <laughs> the upward look caused an inward look. When he looked up, he saw deity. When he looked in, he saw depravity. Isaiah saw himself in his helplessness. After he saw God, he saw how helpless he was. Look in verse 5. What is his response? Now this is something very important, y'all. I've seen so many videos and I've seen so many pictures. I've seen so much stuff over the past several weeks about people being in the presence of God. And you know what they're doing? They got the music wide open. Not saying that you don't worship with music. We do worship with music. But they're dancing around. They got smiles on their faces. Saying, oh, I've never experienced God like this in my life. It's not what Isaiah did. I'm just giving you Bible today. Don't crucify me, okay? Look at what happened to Isaiah. When he finally got his eyes off of Uzziah, and he got his eyes on the Lord. He looked up, and that upward look made him look in. And being in the presence of the Lord, look at what he said. This is his response. Verse 5, then said I, woe is me, for I am, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now I want you to understand something, there ain't nothing wrong going to churches. I've been in church services where people were practically hanging off the chandeliers. There is nothing wrong with praising God. There is nothing wrong with crying. There is nothing wrong with lifting your hand. I wish people would do it more because He deserves our praise. He deserves what honor we can give Him. He deserves for us to say, thank you Lord for loving me. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. Being in the presence of God, I believe for so many people, they've got it confused with something else. Because when Isaiah saw the Lord, when Isaiah came into the presence of the Lord, he instantly realized that there was problems with his own heart. You don't know what real revival brings? It brings repentance. It brings sorrow because we will see in the presence of God how bad we really are. And until you get that repentance out of the way, you can't praise. You got to get right. 
But when Isaiah saw God here, he instantly realized there were problems within his own heart. And that's what happens when you get close to God. Moving closer to God and seeing Him as He is reveals the wickedness of sin in our own lives. I want you to understand that Isaiah probably thought all was well in his life until he saw the Lord in glory and in holiness. And when he did, here's the thing, he was made aware of his own shortcomings. Until we see God and are confronted with our own condition before Him, we will remain haughty, we will remain proud. But honey, when we come face to face with Him and who He is and what we are, it will produce humility. It will produce confession. Isaiah did not cry out, Woe is my neighbor. He cried out, woe is me. And until we are able to see our own failures and our own need of repentance before the Lord, we will never come clean. Spurgeon wrote this, and I quoted it last Sunday night, God will never do anything with us until He has first of all undone us. That's Bible. We got a lot of people talking about things that they know nothing about. You open up the Word of God, you figure it out pretty quick. It's not like we always see it. It's not like how we do. I remember, and I've used this before, and y'all probably remember me saying this, but I'll never forget uh, Striving Together Publications, Brother Paul Chapel out there at Lancaster Baptist Church in California. They, uh, they, they did a video interview with Brother uh, Bobby Robertson before he passed away. It went long, uh, long until he passed after they did this interview. And they, they, they entitled this little documentary, it ain't but about 12, 14, 15 minutes, they entitled it Walking with Giants, and it was Brother Bobby Robertson talking about all of these great men of God down through the years. But the one part of that documentary has always stuck out to me, and I'll never forget it, is when he starts talking about Brother Curtis Hudson. He said Brother Curtis Hudson was one of the, uh, probably as far as Brother Robertson knew, he, Dr. Hudson was the greatest personal soul winner he had ever met in his life. He said that man everywhere he went, he was talking to people about God. He was witnessing to them. People was getting saved left and right. They got saved left and right throughout his ministry. He, he said there's no telling how many people came to know Christ through that man's ministry and how God used him. He said a week before he passed away, I was able to talk to him and I got to be able to visit him a little bit and talk to him about, a, about seven days before he passed. And he said he was laying on that bed and he was... He said, Brother Bobby, he said, I wish I could have won more people to God. He said, I wish I could have done more. It kind of reminds me of what Brother uh, uh, Leonard Ravenhill wrote in one of his books. He said, five seconds into eternity, we're all going to wish we had prayed more. We're all going to wish we had done more for God. We're all going to wish that we had a witness to one more person. But I was listening to Brother Robertson talk about this, and he said, Dr. Hudson was the greatest personal soul winner. He said, I've never seen a man like him. And on his deathbed, he says, I wish I could have witnessed to more people. Brother Robertson said something after that. I'll never forget. He said, I've often said to myself after talking to him that day, I believe the closer to God we get, the more aware we become of our own failures. 
And my friend, we see that backed up by Scripture. Because that's exactly what Isaiah is doing here. He is coming to the presence of God. He has seen a vision of God. And the first thing he says is, Woe is me, for I am undone. It did not turn into a party. People were not hopping around and jumping around like they were at a nightclub. Isaiah fell to his feet because he was in the presence of an almighty God and he realized how despicable he was himself. Isaiah saw his sinfulness and the sinfulness of all of, it, of his people and mainly here he focuses on apparently it was a sinful tongue is what he's talking about. Might I remind every single one of us we can have a lot together but we'll never have our tongue together. James chapter 3 tells us even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the courts of nature and it is set on fire of hell for every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue no man can tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Isaiah's life may have been it may have been as brilliant as a diamond, but when you lay a diamond against a perfectly black background and have the right light shine upon that diamond, you can see every flaw and you can see every perfection. And honey, you can see flaws and imperfections that were never visible before. And even so, Isaiah's righteous life laid against the background of God's perfection and it looked different. Look in verse 6 and 7. The Bible says, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. Hey, seeing God and confessing His sins, Isaiah experienced the forgiveness of the Almighty. Isn't that wonderful? This is what a presence with God brings to us. The seraphim represents the Holy Spirit. The live coal represents the blood of Jesus Christ. The altar represents the cross. And the Holy Spirit takes the blood of Jesus Christ from the altar of God and applies it to our hearts. And honey, this cleanses us from sin. In the Old Testament, the altar was a place of sacrifice. It symbolized the forgiveness of sins. And honey, you and I need to come to the altar of God and ask that our sins be forgiven. One of the most difficult things for us to say is I have sinned. But 1 John 1.9 tells us this, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me tell you something, the closer you get to God the worse you look. But when that realization comes and we deal, it, we deal with it in repentance before the Lord, we will experience His cleansing and we will be able to stand in His presence and receive all that He has for us. We, like Isaiah, need to look in and see depravity. There's a lot of people that's never really even seen what's wrong with them. Some of, the, some of the most popular preachers of today, one of them in particular, says that they've never really seen themselves as a sinner. 
According to God's word, you can go ahead and mark that person as a wolf. They ain't even saved. Well, preacher, you shouldn't be so judgment. They said they've never seen themselves as a sinner. I'm not judging. I mean, that's Bible. You're not going to be saved until you see yourself as a sinner. You, that's the whole idea of confession to God. To say the same thing as God says. To agree with God. To look at ourselves and see us as God sees us. It's only then that we'll be saved. It's only then that we can truly repent of sins. If you don't see yourself as a sinner, then what are you going to repent from? And what was Jesus' message all throughout, the, all throughout His ministry? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can't get to heaven the way you're going. You must repent. By the way, the person that says that's Joyce Meyer, I'll go ahead and call it out. So anyways, she ain't qualified to be a preacher anyways. Because the Bible says husband of one wife. doesn't say wife of one husband, husband of one wife. So the Bible says what it means means what it says. I, I'm not, it ain't for me to change. As a matter of fact, I've been called to preach the word, and I'm going to preach the word. Amen. People don't like you for it, but it's the word. So here's the thing. We, like Isaiah, we need to look up and see deity. We need to look inside. We need an inward look to see depravity. But let me tell you something else. He didn't stop there. I got one more, and I got to go. I'm, I'm preaching too long this morning, but I'm going to preach it. Anyways, there was one more look he had. The upward look caused the inward look. And both of those looks caused an outward look. Now, I ain't talking about the outward look I was talking about earlier when we get our eyes on all of our troubles and we get our eyes on all of our worries and we sit here and we just sit around and do nothing. No, that's not the outward look that Isaiah experienced here. He experienced the outward look of duty. He saw duty. Look at this. Isaiah saw the world and their hopelessness. Look in verse number 8. And this is where we'll end today. Verse number 8. The upward look, he's already saw God. Once he saw God, he realized how depraved he was with an inward look. But then when he got right, I'll just put it that way. When he got where he needed to be, he got an outward look. Look at what it says in verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. I'm real passionate about this passage because this is the passage that God used to, to crush me into surrendering to preach His Word. So I'm real passionate about this. That's why I'm preaching about an hour. I'm sorry. No, I ain't an hour. I'm at 34 minutes. I do keep track of it. Look at me as Isaiah. I'm going to tell you something. The year 2016, I got my heart right. I got my vision right. In January of 2016, I started looking up. When I started looking up, Holy God made me start looking in. When I finally got right 
And I got to where I needed to be with God. That outward look of duty popped up. And just like Isaiah, I was sitting there going, I'll go, God, whatever you want me to do. Here am I, send me. That's a scary thing to pray too, by the way. Because I knew full and well, I may wind up in China. But I wound up on the other side of Surrey County. As soon as Isaiah gets his heart clean, he hears the call of the Lord to service. You know why so many people ain't serving the Lord? They ain't got their heart right. And they can't hear the call. I know we all can't be preachers. We're all called to something. You may not teach Sunday school. You're called to something. Y'all realize when you walk out them glass doors right there, you are entering your mission field. Yeah. The Lord said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And guess what? Here we got another reference to the Trinity. Notice the Lord uses the pronoun us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God has been seeking for those who will serve Him all throughout the ages. And He continues His search today. Let me give you some Bible on that. Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30 says this, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Jeremiah 5.1 says, Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and see now and know and seek in the broad places thereof. If ye can find a man, if there be any that ex executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. Matthew chapter 9, let's just bring it home for all of us. Verse 37 and 38 says this, Then saith he to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. Let me tell you something. God don't need us, but He chooses to use us. How pitiful would it be for him to seek a man but not find one. That's where we're at in our day. People, they're not willing to be used of God. They're not willing to do anything for God. What a tremendous experience that Isaiah had as he went to the temple. He beheld God. He confessed his sins. He experienced cleansing, forgiveness, and the natural result of all of this with the fire of God burning in his own heart, Isaiah without hesitation told the Lord, here am I, send me. Isaiah wanted to be the answer to God's question. What created this kind of heart in Isaiah? Well, first, he had a heart that had been in the presence of God. He had a heart that knew its own sinfulness. He had a heart that knew it needed, it needed, uh, he had a heart that knew the need among the people, the need for God's word. He had a heart that had been touched by God's cleansing fire. And he had a heart that heard God's heart to teach the nations. When the hour of worship ends, our service to God should begin. 
as we go from the church, we should be saying with Isaiah, Here am I, Lord, send me. Let me tell you, Isaiah had an encounter with God that changed him forever. He did. How about you this morning? How about you? A true encounter with God will change you forever. It will. So we've got a whole, we've got a whole generation of people in church and Christians that don't believe in doing anything. Well, I got saved. I'm good now. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to come to church. When you look throughout Scripture, when you look in Scripture, when a person had an encounter with God, they were changed. And the Bible still says that if a man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm going to close with an illustration I heard a preacher this week preaching on. I think it's very relevant. He was preaching on the thought or the passage of we shall know them by their fruit. Oh, well, preacher, you're not supposed to judge me. We shall know them by their fruit. You will know me by my fruit. Oh, preacher, it's all about the inward appearance. Don't take that verse out of context, really. Let me just say, I'm just going to preach an hour. It's okay. Here's the thing. God knew what was in David's heart. They weren't talking about clothes. They weren't talking about sin. David's over there in that ship, over there in that in that uh, in that field, being a good shepherd. He's doing his job. He's doing his thing. But he's a little he's a little run of a guy. He's a young man. He's a small man. But God saw a leader inside of him. And God tells all those men there that day when Samuel's looking to see who he's going to anoint, who's God's going to teach him. They didn't even bother inviting David because he's just the runt. He's out there doing his job. When you want to talk about God looks on the end, let's just keep it in context. David wasn't out there partying. (laughs) That sounds dumb, don't it? But I just got to relate it to us. David wasn't out there partying. David wasn't out there. Uh, David wasn't out there doing drugs, and David wasn't out there drinking with all of his buddies. Well, God looks on the heart. Yeah, He does. That should terrify us, because that means He does know what we are inside. He does know our heart. He knows every time we lie. He knows every time we do something just to be seen. He knows every time. Hey, He does look on the heart. I want to show you something. This is is very dangerous. We've got a whole generation of people that's taking Bible out of context and they're using it to justify their sinful lifestyles. It's just the truth. The Bible tells us that we'll be known by our fruits. So let me ask you this. I was listening to this man preach. And he gave this illustration. I thought it was just wonderful. He said, let's imagine that 
I showed up late and I run up here on this platform. And all the leaders here at the church, they're angry at me saying, hey man, don't you appreciate the fact that you're given an opportunity to speak here? Do you not respect us any more than to show up late? And they'd look at him and say, well, brothers, you have to forgive me. I'm sorry. Of course, the question would be, well, why do we need to forgive you? Why are you late? We're having a youth meeting today. Why did you come in an hour late? You're supposed to be bringing the message. Well, you see, I was out here on the highway. That's what he says. And I was driving, and I had a flat tire. And so I pulled up on the side of the road, and I got out of my car to, so I could change my flat tire. And while I was changing my flat tire, the lug nut fell off, and it rolled out into the highway. And he said, and just, just quick, I, I didn't even think nothing about it. I, I ran out into the highway, and I grabbed my lug nut, and as soon as I turned up and I turned around... A 30-ton logging truck ran me over. It was going 120 miles and it was only 10 yards in front of me and it just ran me over. And I'm sorry, men. That's why I'm late today. I couldn't be here on time. And y'all already know that story's a lie, right? But that's the thing. If somebody, if I were to come into church an hour late and I told you that, you would come to two logical conclusions. What would they be? Number one, I'm just a liar. Or number two, I've gone mad. This guy needs some help. He thinks he got run over by a 30-ton logging truck going 120 miles an hour on Highway 89 and he ain't got a scratch on him. All of us know. If I got hit by, by a 120 mile per hour, 30 ton logging truck, there wouldn't be nothing left. So here's what this preacher stopped with. He concluded with this. He said, which one is bigger? A 30 ton logging truck or God? I said, that's a way to end a sermon. Isaiah had an encounter with God, and he was never the same. There are many others throughout the Bible the exact same way. But my question this morning is, how about you? How about you? Let's stand and bow our heads, close our eyes.